Hey all, this is Kiko, Kiko Laredo, and uh, you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey Metalheads, Scott here, Richie, and welcoming you once again to that which we call Focus on Metal, and uh, this week we decided that uh, we were going to do a discussion episode. You had a couple of weeks where uh, you've got some interviews, and we're back on the discussion train this week. It's a busy month. Richie was able to carve out a little bit of time, pop down here for a little studio time, so uh, hey man. It's freezing out, but you made it down. I did. <laughs> I'm just too lazy to do more interviews. <laughs> I oh. like the discussion. Can't can't uh, can't fault you on that. It does. <laughs> I, you know, the other thing is, is that you know, after a while too, and you do a great job on them. But I know from me doing them for so long too that there's a point where you kind of like, I just I just don't want to do anything this week, kind of a thing, and you, you kind of do get burned out a lot. So. Uh, I get it. Plus, you get a lot going on. So, yeah, don't blame you. But you know what? Uh, originally, the show was founded on just metalheads shooting the shit about metal and hard rock. So that's what we're doing this week. We are. And uh, you actually, like, hit upon every, I don't want to call it hot topic, but every uh, every kind of good topic this week uh, with what you had suggested to me. So uh, what do you want to talk about first? Um, let's go with the oldest one. Because <laughs> uh, we haven't done a discussion episode in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Portnoy rejoining Dream Theater. Yeah, that's that's. I I it's I would say I was going to say it's interesting. It's not interesting, and it's also not unsurprising. Um, I, I was still a little bit surprised, but given how they used to carve up what they did and all of that stuff, and with Mike gone, it all pretty much landed on John to do all of the other kind of ancillary stuff. I could see where they'd want to have him back. I don't think that their cachet as a band has really diminished with Mike and uh, Mangini being in the band. I was going to say, wait a minute, they're both named Mike. Um, (laughs) uh, You know what I mean? I I don't think that, I don't think that's really been an issue, but I will say that, you know, you announced that Portnoy's coming back and, that's like uh, for Dream Theater fans, a holy shit moment. You know what I mean? And uh, I think it, it, people get really excited. And, and maybe that's what they were trying to do is, is recapture some excitement again. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm psyched that uh, that he's back in there. I think that's truly the band that Why? he belongs in. Why? Why are you psyched he's back? Just he's there's a certain energy about what they do with albums when Mike's there. And the other part of it is... is Right now, when he left, John's driven the bus completely. Main songwriter, producing stuff. He's been kind of all-encompassing guy. Now you've got Portnoy back, and there's kind of this balance that's restored. So you don't yeah, really have the yeah, single but guy. Wasn't that one of the reasons that you know Portnoy left in the beginning was? Uh, there's all different stories. You know, one of the stories Portnoy gave out was that he was burnt out and he wanted to take time off, uh-huh. and the rest of them didn't. Yeah. So now he's going to go back into a band, and he's just going to jump right back in 
to what burned them out in the beginning? Yeah, I think there was a lot more going on than well, that. I because, do as well, but- because he left and he has done nonstop stuff ever since. Well, he wasn't. The issue was more or less with uh, with Labrie and him, wasn't it? They had a falling out. Well, I think that there's also the whole thing of that he went off and he played in on one album for a band as well. And he, I think he thought maybe he was going to transition out of Dream Theater, go into that band, continue on. And that's not how that worked out either. That was kind of a, you know, thanks for the help. And you talking about Avenged Seven? Yes. So I think there was a, I think there was some misunderstanding that happened there as well, and I think he had certain expectations, and those expectations didn't come to fruition. So I think there was some of that that played into it as well. Maybe, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot that went, you know, happened back then. Yeah. Um, one thing I, you already touched on it. How how big of a boost in ticket sales will this give Dream Theater? It. In the beginning, probably some, but I, when Port and I left the band, I don't think their cachet dropped really. Um, they they didn't play smaller. I don't think they played. No, smaller they didn't. Venues. They didn't do. And and it's not like, I mean, it, Mangini is an incredible freaking drummer. Fabulous. You know, so if they, you know, for a guy to to, to pick, he he's just an awesome pick. So there's I don't. They're not like there's a settle there when they went with Mangini at all. But there's definitely, I think Mike has his own personal fan base. I think one of the the episodes where we had Mike on was one of our largest listened to episodes. And the amount of like social chatter that happened because of that one was freaking insane. And I just think he just has just, he's very personable. And I think he just has this huge sphere of influence. Mm. Well, the one thing I do love about Mike Portnoy is he's a fan. I don't know whether you thought you don't do Facebook, um, but if you saw the post that he puts on, he's pictures with all these musicians that he revered. Oh yeah, he's um, he's been unabashed about the fact that he's a, a a massive fan. He's a, he's a yeah. massive music fan. Yeah. And when I mean music fan, it's not just metal. Yeah, like he's massive into the Beatles and prog and pop and rap and yep. you know metal and thrash and everything. Yeah. And he, and he, again, he's he is very outgoing, and it's uh, it's amazing how much stuff he is able to monitor. Just like when I posted his Mexico City drumheads up on the wall, there he was like within like less than an hour, he had hit back about like what the. <laughs> so um, yeah, he's I I think he's very involved outwardly. Where I think for the most part, you know. I, Jordan does a lot of interviews, but his interviews that he does are all for his project stuff. You never really hear from James at all. You definitely never hear from John at all. And about what now? Huh? About what? Just in general, like interviews. Like you don't you you hear when a new album comes out, John will do publicity. Yeah. All right. Other than that, you don't you don't see these guys anywhere else at all. Like I said, except. If Jordan's promoting some other project he's doing, he'll do interviews for that. John Myung hardly ever does it. Exactly. You don't hear anything from John. Yeah. You don't hear anything from James. And it used to be you would hear from Portnoy all the time, new album or not. 
he was out there he was visible he was talking so it you know it it lent a lot to people like always having dream theater on their mind yeah um when i i was surprised um i know he he met you know he came out and he said that you know he, he played on petrucci's solo album and he's he was pictured going to see the band yeah. and but i was still surprised because i felt that the albums that they did with Mike Mangini, for the most part, were stellar, mm-hmm. especially the last two. I felt that A View from the Top of the World and Distance Over Time were absolutely tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous records, top to bottom. The Astonishing, I think, is the one dud that they did with Mangini that I don't like. And the two before that, the self-titled, I probably put as my second least favourite. And then, the, I can't remember the name of the first one he did with Mike Mangini, but... um. Those those three are really really good, and then the self-titled, and then the astonishing I'd put at the bottom. Yeah. But I I still felt that the band were putting out great music, and I thought Mike Mangini actually fitted in really well with the band. Um, the way Mangini has handled it has been very classy. Mm-hmm. Um, he just I have a solo album coming out, and Mike Portnoy is back where he belongs, and and that was it. Um, yeah, pretty much. It will be interesting when the band do start doing press. Um, what they actually say about all of this, um, because the way they're, you know, they're, they're building it up now is that oh, we're all one big happy family again, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, it will be interesting to see what role Mike Portnoy now has in the band, because he has been out of it, and now he's coming back in. Uh-huh. Uh huh. When you look at it, with, we'll, we'll go on the legalese for a minute. Um, is he coming back in as a member or as a guy on a salary? Because once he left a band, normally you lose your, your, your membership. That depends on the band. I understand that, but I'm asking the question. What is he coming back as? We're, is we're he, probably not going to know. We're pro- exactly. Is, is, and is Mike Pornay now all of a sudden going to be doing... Oh, I'm going to do all the interviews. I'm going to be picking all the set lists for the live shows. We're going to be doing all these cover al- We're going to be covering all these albums again. I'm sure a lot of the influence he had before is the same influence he's going to have coming back. Um, well, then you might have the same issues crop up again. I don't know. There's, there's got to be a, you know, a gr- you know, a getting back together, a grace period there where, because he's. he's the band has gone on for ten years without him, and they've done they've, they've done well. Yes, they have, but at the same time, he's done well too. It's not like he's like Jesus. No one remembers me anymore, and I can't do anything. Right? He's been plenty busy doing all kinds of stuff, so it's not like he needs a gig. Right? Does Dream Theater need Mike Portnoy more than Mike Portnoy needs Dream Theater? For public at large, yeah. You believe so? Yeah, I, I do. Don't, I don't agree. I think the band have done fine without him. And I love Mike Portnoy, he's gr- and I'm glad he's back. If he was not so important, there wouldn't be so much, holy shit, Mike's coming back to Dream Theater. But there is. There's people that are just unbelievably excited and psyched that this is happening. Okay. So it's, and again, my opinion, but I... I and I'm not no no slight on on Mangini because, like I said, the guy's you know an incredible incredible drummer. But yeah, I just think that that uh, that's where they're going to get a huge boost again by having 
kind of, well, I can't call it the original band. We'll call it the classic lineup back together. Okay. I'm interested to see where they go. How much of an input Portnoy has on the songwriting. Yeah. The production. Yeah. The sound. Um, because I've, I've, I'm a massive fan of the last two albums. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Well, you got to remember too, right? That you'd have to examine how much influence Mangini had on the songs. And we don't really know. But we know what Mike had put in before. And as you alluded to a while ago when you talk about him being a true fan, he's also the guy that brings all of that other stuff into the mix. That, you know, you aren't going to see John Myung go out and go out and do a cameo at a Death Angel show. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. He's not, it's not his thing. It's, but Portnoy brings a lot of the heavier side to, to Dream Theater. Okay. And all those influences that come out of that. So that's, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. I was just, it did surprise me. Mending bridges is one thing and that, that's great that, you know, Mike and John and, James and all these guys were able to get along and Mike was able to go see Dream Theater play a show but to go to oh yeah Mike Portnoy's back I was like whoa because I thought they were doing fine with Mike Mangini you know I mean what surprised me was that Portnoy had messaged me October I want to say October about be on the lookout for something else coming up so knowing that I was I was psyched about that, and then I heard this, that's what surprised me. But I can't really talk about what he messaged, at least on the show. <laughs> All right, so let's go on to the next part of our discussion. Um, let's talk about Kiko leaving Megadeth. What about that one? That's that's an interesting one. You know, you you read the you read. Kiko's statement, you read what we'll say in air quotes, the band says, and there's got to be more going on than, than, you know, what we know or what we're ever going to hear. There's always but more going on. The thing is, you is think that... think a statement from a band is, tr- is 100% factual? Well, it's not just a statement from a band. <laughs> it's a statement from the king of statements, Dave Mustaine. And the 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 meat grinder of of guitarists that that band goes through, because they're not a they're not an unsuccessful band. Are they a and, band? <laughs> well, well, that's a, they're they're not anymore. That's the other thing. It's like they shouldn't even put out albums called Megadeth anymore. They should just put out an, an albums under the name Mustaine or something. Because you're right, they're not. Um, and the albums are good. I'm not talking the. I'm not knocking the music. And, no, the, it, and that's. I mean, that's an interesting thing too, right? Is you figure Metallica's put out what eleven studio albums, if we don't count Lulu, because I can't count Lulu. And in that same time period, I think Megadeth has put out. I think it's sixteen. It's probably more as of the sick studio maybe. albums, though. Oh. So, and they've all been pretty damn good releases. Some people dislike one or two in there, in kind of the 
risk error kind of thing. Um, I don't think, but there's good stuff on there no, too. To I me. don't believe that Megadeth have put out a bad album, and I like Risk. And they're and so and so they're and so what I'm saying with all that is that they're they're they have been consistent releasers, and the the quality of them has been good, and they have not lapsed into like sameness or cookie cutter things or or falling into any any type of thing you know i like dysphoria i was like wow there's really some different sounding stuff in here and some other tempos and some other things going on so um it's not a band you would go stale in it's not a band that's unsuccessful it's a band that if you want to tour then that's great although i think they're touring too much lately but uh, it definitely puts you in front of a lot of people, and yet, god damn, does he go through fucking guitar players? Um, you bring up their, you think they're touring too much. That was one of the reasons he gave for taking that. It's interesting, but um, whenever I hear a musician say they're, they're taking a hiatus or a leave of absence from a band, they're gone. It's just a different way of saying it. Yeah. Um, like let's talk about you know we had Frank Hannon on the show yeah and Troy Lucetta said he was going on hiatus yep he's been on hiatus from Tesla now for probably three years yeah you're not in the band anymore but they say it a different way and it makes him sound that oh you might go next see him next week and he's back well some of those ones too you have to some of that is not necessarily a want to have an untruth but some of that is is strictly what they can legally say or not say yeah you know straight up legal but for for kiko i like him as a player he was really good stan apparently loved him but you you know you look at it and you go glenn rover was really good gone and i and and that one there with all the stuff that sean did to help kind of realign with uh with you know, Gigantor, and, and he brought a lot of shit back um, in that era. And yet, like, you know, Glenn's in there, then he leaves. Yeah, then then Broderick, another shit-hot player. Then he's gone, and it, it's... The same day Sean Drover left, or was it the day after? You know, and it's <laughs> like... So, so, so on the one hand, bizarrely, when you get Kiko goes, yeah, I'm out. I go, oh, well, fucking imagine that. Another player. And then, of course, the rumor mill starts. Oh, bring back Marty. I mean, Marty has no interest in coming back to Megadeth. Marty is in Japan. That's yeah. where he lives. And yeah. he's doing fine in Japan. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was always the, yeah, this intense, like, you know, Marty thing. But that, the Marty window, the Marty window to me closed when Nick died. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, they did try and get that lineup back together. That's what I mean. And that, yeah. that just kind of. And then, because Ellison was in the band, yeah. back in the band. Then. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think when, and yeah, Nick dying, I think finally closed that out. I don't, I, you know, I can't speak for Marty, but I know with stuff he's, he's alluded to, it's like he doesn't, he doesn't have the interest. And like you said, yeah, he'll show up at the odd show if Mustaine. Yeah, exactly. Is in, and he's, he's done in town that. and he's in town. He'll, and he'll, he'll play. Jump up and play. Yeah. But, but then, of course, that start, you see, that starts the rumor mill. Right. 
But the thing is, is that, too, if you listen to, like, what Marty is putting out and stuff, he's musically moved on. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He's way over there now. And he's got some really, you know, interesting ideas and things he's he's done on... Um, it's funny, I, I I watched his interview with uh, with Rick Beato, and it reminded me very much of when I was talking to Michael Shanker and these like kind of like emotional, ethereal concepts of music and all this, and it was like, wow, um, he's he's definitely moved on. But I, yeah, I'm 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 sad that you know once again, you know, Megadeth fan base is like, well, okay, great, now. Okay, how long is Timu going to last? Well, we, I think Kiko was in the band seven, eight years? Something like that. He's been in there for a while, yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, the Lomenzo back. And Which then also shocked drums. me. I was very shocked that... that, that uh, and that's kind of where I come with the, with the balance out of, okay, people complain about Dave, and yet Lomenzo went back. Yeah, but all these guys that are coming into bands like Megadeth as uh, they're salary players, right? We yeah. all know oh, that, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and they, even they Kiko all, said that all, they're very well, yeah. very well taken care of. They, they just got to show they up and all play. Ha- they all have to look after number one. Yeah, right. So if Lomenzo tomorrow got a, an offer to do something, yeah, and paid as mo- mo- as much as we get in Megadeth or more, and he didn't have to tour as much, yeah. he'd be gone. Probably, yeah. Um, the, the loyalty is there, but the loyalty is also there to the paycheck. Yeah. And the family and lo- looking after number one. It, it, that's the way the music business is now. The only way you can make money is tour. Yeah. If some band came in tomorrow that was a fucking jazz band and said to James Lomenzo, I can give you one and a half times what Megadeth are giving you, yeah. Lomenzo will be gone. Yeah. And the other part, it must be difficult with, you know, some of these players where, you know, so you take Kiko and he's been in there for for eight years, right, or however long he's been in there for. And yet, you you never really get a feeling like you're in the band. Yeah, how it's much like, did he write? It's Megadeth? like you're, you're Dave's guitar player. Yeah, how much did he write? I'd have to go much, back and look he? at the credits. Not that much, though. But you have to, you have to also go, okay, how much... How, how much is Dave going to accede to... Oh, yeah, he helped compose that part, or he did this, or, or he did that. And, you know, you know how it is. Credits are a clusterfuck. Yeah. All right? And if you're the guy holding the pay strings, well, you also control the clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's just it's how it is. It's my band. Yeah. Every single fucking yeah. musician who's been in Megadeth has always said, it's Mustaine's band. Yeah, yeah. Bottom line. Yeah. And, and I mean, people have always said, too, he's a... He's a difficult guy, so it's got to be difficult to be in a band with him, too. Yeah, yeah. Still brings out great music. He does. And, sad, and Kiko, you know what? I'm sad he's gone. I am, too. Um, but at this stage of Megadeth with members, it's like LA Guns. It's like fucking all these bands. You know, If you're a fan of Faster Pussycat, who the fuck is going to be playing with him next Yeah, I, the thing about Kiko, know. I mean, he like I said, he was a good player, but he was also... He had a lot of that Marty in him as well. He was a passionate player, and he was passionate about music. So he wasn't just like, 
He didn't approach it as just a hired, gone, shit, hot, shredder guy. He was good on stage, too. I yeah. I saw him a couple of times. He, you and, know, he, he didn't just stand there. No, no. That's, and he was, so he, like I said, he, he was, he's kind of like a little reincarnation of Marty and, and fitting in. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very sad that he's leaving. I think, and you can disagree with me on this, but I'm going to go there, that there are so many shit shit hot guitar players out there now that are young that can play anything it's not like back in the day where you know getting a Marty Friedman he was a named guy you know or a Jason Becker when Roth got Becker in he was a named guy now there's a fucking hundred Jason Beckers that nobody knows anything about and they can all play that stuff yeah I disagree so I, I, who's this I will, Timu guy I will I will I will agree on the fact that there's a ton of shit-hot younger players. I will agree with that. But what I also find is there's a lot of a lot of people that you will see them like on YouTube. And this isn't across 100%, but you will see people on YouTube that can play the shit out of something against a track sitting alone in their room. And there's lots of them that are like, I look and go, holy shit, how'd they do that? But... You take that same person and put them in a band situation where now you're not playing against the track you know. And you're in a room full of people. And you are in front of people. Yeah. You are having timing that will change on a dime depending on the drummer. Is he coked up? Is his adrenaline going? Is he having a bad day? Can you hear yourself? Are the backing tracks working? <laughs> <laughs> but, and then there's a dynamic of, you know, because some bands... They're they're going to they're going to go to the script right, and you're not going to have the little jam or whatever. And they got to meet lighting cues and all this stuff. But then you have other bands where, you know, somebody like Kiko, if someone decided to turn left, just like Marty would, they would turn left too. They could jam. They can they can go with the dynamic. So there's lots of players that can do all the fundamentals. They can blow me away with that technically, technically. Yeah, but. What they can't do is get with other musicians Adapt. and vibe with them. Improvise. And, and granted, in the way things get recorded nowadays, which I know drives you crazy, me too to a degree, where they're not in the same room, you're doing things separate. So you really aren't vibing with musicians. You have a lot of these projects that are get done. So in those situations, a lot of times, yeah, you can go ahead and, and you can be pretty good at it. But then it comes to live, and, and you can't do it, you know. And, and I think back to way back when um, when Dara and I were working on the second Multi Chaos project, and he got a kid from I want to say the Middle East, got him online, he'd gone through a lot of people, and this kid technically was really really good. So we were like, okay, you're going to do the leads on these songs. So when we sent him the tracks, couldn't play anything. He could reproduce solos all day long. Come up with a new solo that vibes with this track and this mood. Couldn't do it. Even in a cut and paste thing, he, he just couldn't do it. Yet, technically, he, he was freaking awesome. So there's kind of a, there's two sides of the coin there. Okay. But yeah, I'm, you know... Like I said, I, I'm bummed that, that, that Kiko's gone, and I think the telling thing was the follow-up interview that he had done recently where he 
basically kept using that word freedom. Freedom. Freedom! That's something that I think previous musicians in Megadeth have all alluded to. Mm -hmm. The fact that it is Dave's ship. Yeah. He steers it. And they don't really get as much input as they'd like. Yeah. Except for Gar and Chris, because they were fucked up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go on to the next thing I want to talk uh, about. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Michael Schenker for a minute. Okay. Of course, Michael has just finished a, a European, or is he still over there? I know he, he, he was over in Ireland um, around the time of Thanksgiving. Okay. And they had a Dublin show, and, and it was a lot, you know, quick story. Uh, they had riots in Dublin and the show got cancelled ah. and they had to go to Belfast and they were luckily enough they were able to come back to Dublin and play the show somewhere else. But the one thing I did notice uh, was the set list. Yeah. And I've interviewed Robin a few times and, you know, I text Robin yeah. every now and again anyway. And um, he, was, Robin was always alluded to the fact that Michael didn't really want to play the Macaulay Schenker stuff. Now, the band he had over there, he had Bodo Shop, who played on Perfect Timing. Uh-huh. He had Steve Mann, yeah. who played on Save Yourself. Uh, he, had, he had Michael, and he had Robin. So he had four guys that played on those, those records. Yeah, right? I mean, or, even, the, not even, all the, of them. even the last round that he did here, um, there was, they weren't doing that, because they, they had just done like two rounds three rounds of shanker fest where they really did have you know with with graham and gary and and robin and and they didn't do anything off of either one of his last two releases it was all prior stuff mm. but you had four four fifths of that lineup yep that in the macaulay shanker group yeah and he wouldn't he decided not to play one song and i'm like that was to me that's a missed opportunity because Robin can still sing it, yeah. right? And you had the other guys that fucking played on the record. He could have just, he could have done one song, right? So what did he do? He he had Robin sing all the UFO stuff and all the Shanker stuff that he never he never fucking sang on anyway. Yeah. And, and he wouldn't even say to the guys in the band, "You played on these Macaulay Shanker albums. Uh, let's do one song. Let's do Anytime. Let's do Save Yourself. Let's do Give Me Your Love." No. Yeah, I mean, I can, I get your point on it, but I just, like I said, he's done a couple rounds of Shanker Fest, and he is in those. He has completely ignored the last two, maybe the last three Shanker releases that he did. Okay, completely. The difference there is that the Macaulay Shanker stuff sold more. It was on MTV, and people know know those songs more than they probably would the, the stuff on the last two or three albums. Plus the fact that you have the singer and two other guys in the band and Michael that played on those records. Still, the guy's putting out releases. He's touring. He, and think about how Michael is with music. Michael doesn't care about the commerciality of it. What he wants to do is put out new music and play it. It's, I mean, it's not that dissimilar to Maiden going and saying, yeah, no, we're not... We're not doing a greatest hits tour this time. We've just put on a new album. We're going to play the shit out of this album. Granted, they play one or two older songs too, but they're still like, no, we put out new music and we want to play it live. But if he's doing a career-spanning set, 
and he's ignoring that era completely when he has the guys that actually played on the records. That's kind of a pain in the ass. As far as I know, most of what he was playing is newer stuff. On this run in England? No. He did eight UFO songs and all the rest of it was Michael Schenker. It was all uh, stuffed Gary Barden, Hmm. uh, stuffed Graham Bonnet. Because a lot of it, that last time he was here, was going to it wasn't going to really be any of the uh, real like commercial hit stuff at all. It was going to be stuff off the new releases, and I think they might have planned on doing UFO. Yeah, I didn't think he, I didn't think he even did anything on the new releases in this run. It was all old stuff. He just skipped the Macaulay Shanker group. I just found that odd. Because I I saw I saw Michael in Foxborough with Robin. Yeah, it must have been about. 10 years ago now and he did Save Yourself and he did I think he might have done Bad Boys or something like that yeah. I mean I will say you know I like the Macaulay Shanker stuff Nikki likes the Macaulay Shanker stuff that's probably her favorite era actually so that's it's mine. why I get to drag her to Shanker shows um, <laughs> because honestly when we go she is probably one of the only females there but I will say too that there is more disinterest from the people around me when he plays Macaulay Shanker stuff. Even though Robin can still sing the shit out of it, there is less interest in those than there is the other stuff. Okay. Uh, I think I think he was doing stuff from like Bill to Destroy. I'm like that wasn't that really a big a big Macaulay Shanker album. Yeah. You know, I ju- I just I just looked at the set and I'm like. He could have done one. Yeah, and, he, he, and again, his, he's his a band. It's a, he picked the set list. He didn't want to do it. That you know, he is a free spirit. I mean, I say that the, again. The guy, you know, <laughs> he walked away from Love Drive, right? So yeah, he does what he wants, and and uh, he's got a unique outlook on it, and it's got to make him happy, and you know all that. So yeah, I, I get your point, but I, I also being at the shows and seeing reaction to people, I could also see that, and I don't, I don't have a really good. I don't have any actual gauge beyond you of kind of what the uh, European acceptance of Macaulay Shanker was versus any of the other stuff. Well, it was accepted. You know, I know that I know I got like my American centric, like how it was I placed, think- which was like you said, was probably the most popular from a commercial standpoint here in the U.S. I think the Perfect Timing album was pretty well received. The Save Yourself album was definitely well received. Yeah. Um, because that had a lot more, you know. It was, the guitar was definitely more upfront on that than it was on Perfect Timing. Mm. Um, and the title track, Save Yourself, I think Michael's guitar work on that's fucking stellar. Yeah. Um, and I've seen him do it live. Like, the beginning of that song is fucking fantastic. Um, I, I just, I was disappointed he didn't play one song. And I know I think as well there was an issue there with uh, Ronnie Romero. Was, was he supposed to do it? And it kind of, couldn't do it at the last minute and Robin kind of stepped in. As far as I know, he was the guy who was supposed to be singing on these. Yeah, so maybe Michael already had the set planned out with Ronnie singing it. And yeah. When Robin came in, it was too late to change it. Um, maybe that had, that's something to do with it, but it's just the musicians he had on stage. I just think it might have been a missed opportunity because when Michael comes around again, yeah, you, you don't know who's going to be on stage with him. He, he mightn't have Robin, he mightn't have Steve Mann, he mightn't have Bodo on drums. Yeah. And and that era is just going to get completely forgotten about. And this was the chance, I think, with four fifths of the band, to actually say, right, I've got four fifths for the lineup here. 
I'll I'll do save yourself. Yeah, I don't think he looks at it that way. I know he doesn't. No. That's, that's why he's Shanker? You know what I mean? Just like speaking of speaking of Shanker, let's let's flip on the other side of Shanker, Rudolph, just cause. And I didn't initially pick up on it, but Nikki did, and now it's been bugging me more and more ever since she did. So we're we're going out. In April, to see Scorpions in Vegas at their residency. So, can you recall any bands recently that have done residencies in Vegas that had an opening act? I wasn't paying that much attention. I don't think there have been. But Ugly last Kid week, Joe? they announced Ugly Kid Joe was going <laughs> to open. Like it's a residency, people are coming, in your you know and and you're supposed to do you know potentially a longer than normal set. I mean, think of what like Leopard did there. They were pulling out deep tracks and all this. These guys are in their mid seventies. That's not going to happen. And I understand Klaus has got to watch his voice, but they're not even doing like daily shows. There's gaps. There's like three-day gaps yeah, back, between back the, the shows. Back to Macaulay again. What's the thing Macaulay said to us on numerous occasions? You got this thing called Vegas Throat. It's a very hard place for a singer to yeah. stay in and sing because of the, the climate. Right, but still. So, one, they didn't announce. They should have announced they were having an opening act right off the bat. When the tickets went on sale, they should have done it, but they didn't. They made everyone believe it was only going to be the Scorpions playing. Then, weeks after the people have bought tickets, they announce an opening act. So now when you thought you were having just a night of Scorps, you have something different. Yeah, but did they ever say that they were going to... And it's going to be it's the same lineup that's going out to do the tour dates that aren't on the residency. So essentially what you have is a series of the same tour dates just in one place for a while. So it isn't even a residency. It's just, hey, well, we're going to hang out here. We're going to do a, a bunch of dates in April and May. And then we're going to just take the same thing and do it everywhere else. They just announced shows in, uh, I think it's today or yesterday. Um, one of them is in London. Uh-huh. I think and one of them is in, I think it's in Amsterdam. Yeah. And it's the love at first thing. Yeah. Thing and, that's what they, and that's what they build they on this. The, they were going to play all of it. Are they playing the whole album? Yeah. And Ugly Kid Joe was opening those shows. <laughs> okay. That's the, way it, that's the way it's gone now. And like I said, it didn't initially bother me. And then the more I thought about it, it was like, no, wait a minute. There was you- an opening act in the residency. Def Leppard. They supported themselves as Dead Flappard. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't count. <laughs> Because you know when you when you went in and you saw that show you got a entire night of Def Leppard. I don't. I don't know. Actually, I didn't ask Frank Cannon that. I don't know if Tesla had an opening. I don't think they did. Um, who else has done residencies there? And then if you even if you even think about um, dialing it back again, and you think about even non-metal hard rock people like Celine Dion, should have an opening act for a residency. I'm assuming I'm assuming you too when they played the sphere out there didn't. Right, exactly. Um 
What other metal bands or rock bands have done residencies? Tesla, Def Leppard, or Motley Crue. Did they have opening opening acts? Probably some series of tapes. No, but they've done two residencies or yeah, three. And again, yeah, no opening act. Okay. Yeah, typically when you think of a residency and the way they've always been done and, and even kind of what Vegas has been known for since, God, what, the 60s and 70s is you get these people that are there and they, they do all these dates and it's just, it's them. You go and you see them. Yeah, but there's the other thing, right? I don't mind Ugly Kid Joe. I don't own any of their music. But to me, they're an odd choice of an opener. for. So that's one thing. Is that's definitely an um, odd choice. But it's also, again, you buy the ticket to go see Scorpions. Yeah. You want something unique. And I bet most not, of the seats have already been it. sold. Yeah, you're not getting it if they're going to start bringing that tour everywhere else and playing the same set. Yeah, um, so I think that, I think that venue they're playing in. If I look, I looked. I think it's like seven thousand seats. Now, if they play the same set night after night, I think that really is a missed opportunity because the whole point of the residencies is the stage is in. You're in one area. You're there for multiple nights. Yeah, um, and to attract the fans in there. You can mix around the set. I, I can almost guarantee and you, you they're not yeah, going to. Yeah, and you can play stuff that they be they could play. You know, they could play five or six Uli. Yeah, songs. it's going to be Love at First Sting, and then it's going to be some of the other ancillary stuff, and it will be the same Black set every Hell, night. No one like you. Yeah. yeah, coast to coast. Right. Maybe one or two newer songs, and that's it. Yeah, yeah if, you'll if they, come if out they to do play that, Rock Believer yeah, and stuff. If but they yeah. do, if they do the same set list night after night, that will be. And I'm putting a mile here disappointing uh-huh <laughs> still gonna go out still gonna try to have fun we yeah. got great freaking seats yeah but uh they can still bring it live too and you know since we're gonna stay in the same hotel that the venue's in yeah we can just wander down late if we want to <laughs> but yeah just i just thought i'd mention i just was like really an opening band for a residency yeah uh just it the more I think about it, the more it aggravates me. Well, focus. So, anyways, next topic: Getty Lee uh, book. Well, Getty Lee, yeah, Getty Lee slash Rush. Getty yeah. Lee is everywhere. Yeah. Um, he's got the book. He's got the new documentary. I think Banger he, Films. Yeah, I think it's y- Banger yeah, Films. He. He is doing the mother of all book tours. I don't know whether you've seen any of the videos or, or, uh, that are out there. Uh, he did a show in Boston, I believe, um, where he just sits down and he gets interviewed by somebody. But there's a lot of clips out there. I know Jack Black did one night with him. Um, Matt Cameron did one night with him. Yeah, I think I saw um, a little bit of that one. Uh, I was going to say Phil Rudd. Uh, Paul Rudd, the actor. I think uh-huh. it's Paul Rudd. Um, he did a night with him, and I'm sure there's been other, you know, guests that. Yeah. Well, I think the Matt Cameron, because I think Matt is in that documentary that Getty just did. Yeah, he's one of the guitar, um, uh, one of the bass players. Yeah, I've read the book. The book is fantastic. It's it's about 500 pages, and there's a lot of stuff in the book that you're like, whoa, 
um, especially about his personal life. There's a chapter in there about what his parents went through in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. That was fuck. Oh, like you know, you're nearly crying at the end of it. Um, the the heartache and the, you know how, what they did to actually get through that and get over here. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot in the book about Neil, of course. Um, I think what people, a lot of people were interested in was when Neil was dying. How much of that he'd cover, and he gets into that. Yeah. Um, he got, get, definitely gets into the records. Um, the 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 band actually were bigger into the drugs than you'd think. That they kind of went along with it in a lot of ways to survive and get through the heart, going from venue to venue, night after and night after said night. That. Yeah. yeah. No, but there's, there's specifics in the book about what they were taking and what happened, and you know, it it is a it is a great great read. Um, and of course, you know, they're my favorite band. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I'm, then it was the other part that you know recently with interviews and just kind of thought provoking was the whole thing of you know would they consider touring again with another drummer? No one's ever mentioned new music, but you as know, what though? As Co- Rush? Mm, no, I wouldn't like that. Person, I, I the way they ended was classy. Uh huh. They didn't do the farewell tour. We're going to jack up the ticket prices, and then we're going to come back, and yeah, and then we're going to, you know, go on for years and years and years. And uh, they just had a was a 40th anniversary tour. Yeah, and I mean, you it. know, and it could be they, you know, assuming this happens because the last word I think from Alex was, well, you know, we something like we don't like to stand still or we like to work or something like that. Um, but. You know, maybe it's going to be a night of rush or something like that. I mean, that's what they're going to play, right? They're going to. I think at this stage, Getty's what seventy, and Alex is probably about. Yeah, I think they're both same age. Yeah, but they always liked the tour. It was always it was always Neil that didn't want to tour. Well, it was more Getty that liked the tour. Well, Um, I think Neil didn't. I think Alex had issues with his arthritis. um, Yes, he did. But Neil hated touring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why he took up the cycling and uh-huh. the bike riding was yeah. to just get away from the boredom of it all and look at the world. Yeah, he uh, he hated it. Yeah, um, but at seventy years of age, do you, I don't. I, do you think Getty and Alex are going to go out for like three or four months on the road and do shows? Can't see that. No, I don't think they would do a massive. I don't think tour. Get, I don't think Getty or I don't think they're hurting for money. Have you seen his baseball collection? Oh yeah, it's probably worth a couple of million dollars. He's, he's very much into baseball. <laughs> yes. He's selling some of it. One of them is a signed baseball from the Beatles. Yeah. So that's not pocket change. Yeah. Oh, I got my <laughs> I got my deal one up there. <laughs> my one. My one and only baseball I have, my deal baseball. <laughs> I, I just it was it was interesting. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, maybe nothing. Who knows? Yeah. Would I like to see him do music again? Yeah. But if Getty does solo stuff, I'll buy it. Yeah. Um you know, it's just that I I do highly highly recommend the book, um, and you loan me Geezer Butler's book. Yeah, um, and Getty Lee's book is ten times what Geezer's is. Yeah, Ge- Geezer's book. You've 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 heard you've you know you've seen and you've heard Geezer over the years in interviews. He he's quiet, doesn't really say much. Yeah, um, Getty's book is five hundred pages. Geezer's is like two hundred and thirty. So you know some of Geezer's book is funny. Yeah. And you learn a little bit about the band and Tony and yeah, Ozzy's yeah. a nut, nutcase and 
I've, I've always felt, you know, Tony comes out of the book as being a complicated guy and you learn a little bit about Geezer, but it's like, you know, you could have elaborated more on this and elaborated more on that. And then you read Getty's book and he fucking elaborates on everything. Yeah, well, part of it too was depending on who they're working with, you know, because, I mean, these guys will all admit, like, we can't really, you know, just write the book by, by ourselves. And I think, yeah, like you said, Geezer has always been quiet anyways. But I think, you know, even even a lot of the biographies that, that I've read lately, I think I've even complained about this before, is you'll hit, like, either these, like, synopsis chapters at the end, or you get these other chapters in there that are like, what the fuck was that? Because I expect to have just kind of more, and just maybe it's the way my head works, but I just expect to have a chapter with content that, like, you can absorb and all that and and not come out with, well, that was a waste of 20-odd freaking pages kind of a thing. And then, you, like I said, you kind of have my, you know, at the end of it, these kind of, what have I learned from my life in the last few years kind of things? So it's like, stop. Yeah. You put something else instead. The other book he gave me was Karabi's. I thought that was excellent. But Karabi's I, but, was interesting. But yeah. I've, in, I've interviewed John a couple of times. Yeah. And he just sh- shoots the shit. Yeah, I mean, he's, talker. he's definitely, that one's very interesting. I mean, the whole, I'm just going to become a truck driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he's good at it. <laughs> yeah, but with John, with Karabi's book, um, yeah, yes, Motley is in it. There's a lot of Motley in it, but there's a lot of everything. He doesn't it. concentrate on the Motley. No, there's everything. Yeah. And... He, I just thought it was, after reading John Karabi's book and interviewing him a few times, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can see, yeah, the book is definitely like the guy. Like uh-huh. it, it wasn't like, you know, watered down or yeah. anything like that. It was like, yeah, that's, that's John Karabi. Yeah, it was good. It was, that yeah, was definitely a good one. Yeah. 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 So let's hit the, uh, the elephant in the room. All right. Uh, let's talk about Kiss. I am in intense pain, Pinky. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, oh um, my. And I'm, I'm. I'm sure there is one million and one KISS podcast talking about KISS now, and we are going to be one million and two. Yeah. Um, what the fuck? Well, the thing with the avatars? Yeah. It's, and it's... So the way they debuted them, I, I was like, you know what? It was pretty cool. I like the stuff they did with the clear screens, like all that, like... Wow, that was pretty well done, but it was like okay, what's the what's the new cash grab? What what's the money stream out of this? And then I had to laugh cuz I just kind of started I'm looking at the avatars. And even just the the standard one with the four faces and it says, you know, Kiss 2.0. And you can look and you see that Tommy's pretty much looks like Tommy. And Eric's pretty much looks like Eric. Gene? Yeah, they've done a lot of work on Gene's face to kind of de-Gene Gene's face. I mean, you look at Gene these days. Gene has done a lot of work on Gene's face. Yes, he has. But his face isn't that thin. (laughs) But the avatars is. And then Paul. It doesn't even look like Paul. And I just go back to... Did you notice the one thing about Paul that people have been saying? The star's on the wrong eye. Well, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but, because it's, you know, it's version 2.0. But 
the thing is, is, you know, I don't know if you've seen, there's a, there's a guy on YouTube, Claudio Bergman, and he's a graphic artist. And he's done, I think he's done stuff for like Battle Beast and a few other bands. He's good. He's a good graphic artist. But one thing he's been doing, and I think he's been doing it like over the last, I want to say, might even be four years now, is he's been doing uh, segments with Dennis Wallach, who was the original Kiss Art director. And they do one album, an episode, and go over with Dennis, like, what was the concept? What did you do? Like, all the story behind it, all that. They're pretty interesting. But there's been a common theme with a lot of them where what looks like a very simple cover. So, like, Creatures of the Night. Four heads. Okay. The amount of comping that they had to do for Paul because... He didn't like how this curl looked in this picture, but he liked how that curl looked in that picture. And it didn't how look how this piece of hair looked. So we're going to, so Dennis was like, we had to comp all of his hair together yeah, to get him what a, he he's liked. He's got a reputation of being a bit touchy anyway, hasn't he? Yeah. But it's like, so I look at, I look at the avatar and go, yeah, okay. So they basically, and, and, it, and it wouldn't have bothered me if it wasn't the fact of you look and go, yep, that looks like Tommy. Yep, that looks like Eric. But then the other two, it's kind of, well, we're going to stylize them a bit more. And then the other thing, and it was brought up, somebody asked about it on Twitter, X, whatever you want to freaking call it. <laughs> this week. Um, no, no Ace, no Peter. And my, my comment back was, oh, well, they're, just, they're saving that for a cash grab later on. When this diminishes, they'll make a... They'll make Avatar 3.0 with the original band. Well, I think that the reason they didn't bring any of the old guys back on stage in the end was because of the Avatars. That Paul and Gene, since Eric and Tommy came back in the band, have been trying to justify this lineup. And all they, always, all they ever talk about is, this is the best lineup Kiss have had. Yeah. And they weren't going to they weren't going to do what let's say happened with unplugged when the minute the minute that peter and ace walked into that room bruce and, and eric were fucked yeah but that one that that's a little different i mean for the most part if you look back at the entire history right there's very very few times where they have had somebody come out on stage that wasn't the four people in the band at that given time and their show is very scripted, beginning to end. So they would have had to do. Oh no, we're going to do. Did you say very scripted or very pre-recorded? Sorry, they couldn't hear you there. One's audio, <laughs> one's you know, but it moves along, right? It's got light cues, it's got everything else. So it doesn't surprise me that they're not bringing out this guest and that guest, and they're going to go and they're going to do their standard show. Boom call it a day so i was not surprised that they didn't do that uh it's just i've actually been more shocked of the times where they've like i think maybe it was once twice where they had joe perry come out with them when they were touring together and it was like holy crap they actually let somebody else come out on stage with them uh but they've they've pretty much never done that so i wasn't surprised that they weren't gonna weren't gonna do that um and they got they made just as much money if they did it or they didn't do it. It was it was sold out. It was a big event. Like there was no extra revenue for Gene to get, so why the fuck do it? 
one of the other things I've seen uh, uh, people talking about with the avatars is they're comparing what Kiss are doing to ABBA. Now, the one thing yeah. I will bring up about ABBA, when is the last time ABBA toured? Not yeah, I, in I the don't know. In the late 70s, early 80s? Probably, yeah, I don't yeah. know. So you have a band like that, they're iconic yeah. European band. Yeah that have gone the Avatar route yeah. after being away for like 30-something years. Yeah. Kiss have been away a week. Yeah, and now Agnetha's probably going, oh, we kill our Avatars now. Yeah. But it's like, I just... Now, I, I know way back, God, in the 90s, I can remember, was it Kiss Quarterly? There was a, there was a, there was a Kiss magazine. It was pretty good. And I remember there was an interview, I want to say it was with Gene, where, you know, he did say about, oh, you know, maybe, and this was, so, you know, you're talking, this is back like in the 90s, and he's talking, yeah, we'd like to probably have something where it isn't Paul or I out on stage anymore, but there is a Kiss band out there performing as yeah, Kiss. Yeah, that, that's been said. So we can years. be interchangeable. And I know that same magazine, they actually had an interview with some other road crew member, might have been a bass tech or whatever, that had actually performed as Gene a few times <laughs> live. Because Gene didn't make it. So this guy just popped the makeup and the thing on and went on and no one knew. So when I saw this, it was kind of like, oh, well, they finally did it. But they're just going to do whatever the fuck the Avatar is going to do. And I don't know. I just, I, I can't see myself going to see a Kiss Avatar I show. I have zero interest in going. And if people want to go and they get something out of it, that's fine. I had no interest in seeing the hologram. I want to see a live show. Yeah. I want to see the people who are actually playing the songs actually in the fucking room I'm paying to go yeah. into. I mean, kind of, you know, the other way I looked at it is I thought back to the last time we were down here recording. And um, I don't think it was, I don't think we aired it, but we, you were talking a little bit about uh, the sphere and the fact that there's so much was going on during the U2 shows. Yeah. Like you don't even know where to look. Yeah. So I look at what they presented at the end of that show and go, oh, holy crap. Are you, are you looking at the screen in front? Are you looking at these eight screens? Or like, like what the hell? And I just like to like focus and not have to be. No, I, I, I like a good show. Yeah. But I'm primarily there to hear the music. And I want the musicians who fucking played on the, the music yeah. to be on the stage. Yeah. That's what I'm there for. Like, you know, if I want to go see a movie, I know I'm going to see a movie, right? Yeah. If I'm going to see a fucking live band, I know I'm going to see a live band. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to see fucking avatars. Yeah. So I just don't know right? how I'm this just, whole I, thing shakes out. And, and yeah, I'm sure that, that they'll do something and I'm sure it'll make money. And I'm sure they'll say this will be the best show ever, way yeah. better than our farewell shows <laughs> and louder and fucking brighter. Yeah, and I just can't. Whatever. I'm just like. Yeah, I was like, really? You can't just go, yep, this is our last show. Thank you. I, I can't, Good night. <laughs> I, can't, I can't see Andy Copping, who runs Download, coming along and saying that the fucking Kiss avatars are headlining the Saturday <laughs> night on Download next year. I think they'd be, or, uh, or Vakken. <laughs> uh, no, Vakken sells out before, take, before they know they, the bands are, so all, he might get away with it. They all look blurry because of all the piss <laughs> bottles hitting the screen. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I, I was just, it, you know, it seemed to me like 
they were going to do the graceful thing. Nothing surprises you know, me about legitimate, no like ba- end listen, of the road. Stop, stop. No fucking band finishes gracefully, except, in my opinion, the way Rush did it. Yeah. No, no band. Yeah. I thought, well, you know, the fucking, they made the Motley Crue, made this big hullabaloo. And of course, one of the quotes that keeps coming back about Nikki Six is the worst thing a band can do is announce a farewell tour and then come back. Uh-huh. That's something he said. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. fucking they came back. Like, yeah. Talk about money. But it's just like, really? Did you, like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was disappointed. I really was. I think a lot of the Kiss fans were like, what? Not unsurprised, but it was, yeah. I've given. You know, I've given you fucking God knows how much money. Yeah. And um, and then at the end of it, you come up with this avatar bullshit. I th- I, th- is there a line where even the most loyal Kiss fan will say to Gene and Paul, go fuck yourself? I think they might be getting there with this. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there is a, and I don't think it's a hater thing. I think it's just like, what the fuck kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, and I know people might say, oh, yeah, the technology is new and it'll be fine once you get used to it. But mm, really? Not no. For, not for me. No, I'm not going to go buy tickets for the Kiss Kiss Avatar Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> you can sit in your living room and pretend you're on a boat. You know, and, and just the whole, yeah, just the whole thing with, oh, now with the Avatar, we can have Gene has wings and he flies and like, oh, fuck me. Really? Come on. <laughs> I tell you where he can fly. Oh, <laughs> I just, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with that ultimately, but I was, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't unsurprised. I just was disappointed. And there are bands out there that are going to look and see how that's going to go for Kiss. And then if it does well, they're all going to be fucking trying. And the thing was, was, you know, you saw that in these videos people took of being at the December 2nd show and the Avatar thing gets done and everyone is just looking around like, okay, what now? Like, go, well, is it is done? Is home. there some other thing they're pulling on? Like, what? Go home. So, yeah, it was... Yeah. Part, part, actually, part of me, probably a large part of me, hopes that the thing absolutely bombs. And this idea never gets off the fucking ground. Yeah. Because I am I just want a fucking live show. Yeah, yeah. You know, warts and all, if the guy's voice is not as good, or if they have to, if the, if the guy has pre, I'll, I'll even say this, if the guy's on stage and he has pre-recorded live vocals, at least he's in the fucking room I'm in. That's <laughs> what I want. I don't want to see fucking somebody flying around. Yeah. I could go to a fucking airport and watch planes do yeah. that if well, I want. Yeah, you just go see a movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I just, yeah. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think enough's been said. So uh, that is it for this week. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for myself and Richie, have yourselves a great minute of week until we talk to you again. As always, remember. Focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant.
you here? It's over. Go home.